Welcome to another episode of The Messy Truths. My name is Martin Tan and I'll be your host for this week's episode. Today, we have with us Carrie Tamuratua, the co-founder of the local ground-up group called Sama Sama. You might know of them from their hashtags, hashtag more than and hashtag making waves. Campaigns to redefine the narrative of migrant workers. Carrie, welcome to The Messy Troops. Thank you, Martin. Pleasure to be here. Sama Sama is a ground-up in- initiative. Um, beyond just knowing about the hashtags, which is very cool, by the way. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit more about Sama Sama. So, um, yeah, as you said, Sama Sama is a ground-up movement. Uh, we were founded in uh, around 2016 and what we set out to do is essentially to redefine the narrative of migrant workers. Uh, so to move away from the you know, image of them as victims, but to be seen as inspiring role models uh, who can create change for themselves uh, and also for the community. Very cool. Um, maybe you can share with us one, one of the most recent thing that you have done um, in terms of really changing the narrative and how almost a public perception of what migrant workers, who migrant workers are, right? Yeah, I think um, a recent one, which is uh, quite a big project that we're working on, and as you said, it's hashtag making waves, um, is essentially a project to transform um, dormitory and recreational spaces uh, into art forms and conversational um, openers with the community. And uh, this came uh, recently because we we felt that we did need to address a rising, uh, I guess, a rising negative sentiment, which was some nimbyism that was happening still. I know that there was a lot of momentum happening during COVID, um, but we do know that these sentiments still exist, quite deep-rooted in certain neighbourhoods. So we wanted to use Making Waves to tackle the idea um, of segregation between the migrant and the local community (laughs) conversation. Um, And what we found out was that due to certain public sentiments, um, the newer dorms (laughs) that were built inwards to the residential areas had six-meter peripheral walls that were covering um, Mm. the area. So, I mean, I'm not sure if, um, you know, if you go to Chua Chukang, you might drive past a very big construction site. um, And it looks like a construction site, but actually it's home to 3,000 people (laughs) behind that. So I think that, you know, we... We wanted to work with the right partners uh, to kind of bring this more to light and understand why those fears were maybe valid. Um, but we wanted to at least bring attention to that by painting a 30 meter mural <laughs> with the help of graffiti artists and also 30 meters mural. 30 meters and six meters high. Beautiful. That's right. Painted by the one at Chachukang was painted by Spaz, um, uh, who's uh, Laura Maravilla. Um, she's a Filipino artist based in Singapore. Um, and yeah, I think from there, it also kind of sparked this new type of community um, and the idea of what residents look like, right? In maybe in the future state, um, hopefully in the endemic. Very nice. Um, Majority Trust released a, a research sometime early this year on, on migrant workers. And, and what you said is so true. Over 60% uh, of Singaporeans say that they actually know of migrant workers' uh, situation in Singapore, uh, but less than 25% actually have a regular interaction with a migrant worker. Um, so when we dive deeper and we say that, oh, then how do we find out the information and say that, oh, a majority of them who knows about migrant worker issues are only reading it from social media. So they actually don't have that close uh, interaction, which actually might change our minds on certain things or might surface actually new challenges. How has that experience been for you? Yeah, um, I think, you know, you're spot on on that, that 
a lot of people do care about the topic, but they still have certain misconceptions or understanding um, about you know how to interact with migrants, how to even think about the community in general. Um, and it's because and and it's because. I mean, firstly, they've been in their dorms for uh, quite a long time. time. Uh, so it has been po- po- impossible to actually, you know, um, meet with them. Um, but also, I think that, you know, a lot of this mindset comes from the very fact that there is no opportunity to interact um, with um, migrants. And as much as, you know, we try to do it over these Zoom calls, uh, we do understand that we need a more scalable approach to trying to get this uh, understanding out there. Um uh, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's really about creating more mainstream opportunities for migrants to participate in, um, to at least be part of the community, right? Because that's technically what community is about as well. Yeah. And I think Sama Sama is one of the rece- one of the grantee partners for the Scaffold Fund that came as a result of that. Yes, that's um, right. Because the goal is really to bring communities together. Yeah. How did you How did you get started in this? How 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 did you start Sama Sama? Well, uh, in my previous life, uh, um, I, I, I used to um, uh, be an HR and performance management consultant. So we worked a lot with talent management and that, and I did uh, a number of projects involving migrant worker compensation schemes. And that was when I learned about their conditions. Um, and I was a little concerned about the way uh, people were talking about migrant workers, whether it's in the boardroom or whether it's in the you know management meetings. Um, and I mean, they were very fair, but I think it was just the mindset of the difference between migrant workers and, as an employee versus talent, which, you know. <laughs> um, so I think from there, you know, we felt that, um, I felt that I wanted to do something um, and together with a good friend of mine, he's also an artist, uh, we decided to come together and see like how we could give back to the community. And that's how, you know, we really started something very, very humble. I think it was like an art exhibit at a community center or something, you know. Um, and, and then, you know, but before we did that, we wanted to go on the ground, ask questions, get to know people and learn more about the issue. And as we did that, I think we got very overwhelmed because there were so many things and we didn't realize like how we were actually going to have any contribution to this Mm. when we first started. And I think we started the same way because back then a lot of the humanizing efforts were also towards highlighting their plight. Um, and, and they were, they were, you know, a lot of times painted as victims and we started that way as well. And that's why we felt like we couldn't be that contribution in that impact, right? In the large impact, those grand scale, uh, grand scheme of things. Um, but <laughs> when we were working with House of, um, we met a couple of folks, and and uh, we we met with uh, a number of you know gems of people. I don't even know if that's the saying, <laughs> but you know people gems. Yes, very much so. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, and I think back then it was also, you know, the migrant worker poetry competition was also gaining its popularity and we got to meet these poets and we realized that there's something out there. And then we, you know, met and heard um, of a domestic helper who had started a recycling plant uh, back in the Philippines, um, you know, to to essentially create job opportunities for her in the hometown. And also met, you know, we also found out about you know, a construction worker who was part of building NUSU Town, right, uh, who then was inspired to build a school because he wanted to, you know, oh, wow. uh, improve education back from where he was. So I think with this, we realized, you know, 
based on my, I guess, my HR background back then, it was about potential. And then we st- we started a campaign back then called What Went Right. So instead of just looking at what was wrong, we wanted to find case studies um, of leaders or inspirational figures and kind of work backwards and see what were the factors that created that environment for them to succeed in whatever that they wanted to do. Yeah, and I think that's from there it just you know evolved. And back then it was not a um, back then it was not a I guess a mindset where people saw you know um, migrant workers as as potentially you know unconventional leaders. Mm. But today um, in the pandemic, or hopefully at the tail end <laughs> of it, to the endemic state, um, you know we work directly uh, with migrant community peer leaders. Um, they sit at the table with us. Um, we they are our advisors. We partner with them. Um, you know, we support their programs. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's just been, you know, it's just been amazing to see that evolution. Wow. And and from what you've shared, one of the one of the things that strike me is that every one of these migrant workers that you're talking about has a story about them. There's a face to them, there's a name yeah. to them. And in another universe now, multiverse is the, or metaverse <laughs> is like the the key topic right now. Um, they are really just like us, uh, in just in very different scenarios, very different circumstances. Uh, but they have their own story. Mm-hmm. Is that why we call it sama sama? Why the name sama sama? Yeah, I think sama sama same same right, mm-hmm. um, and it's to draw parallels um, between migrants and locals. And I think it was less so like the exact differences, as you said, because there are these nuances. I mean, even as people, we have our differences in terms of culture, in terms of background. And that's the part of that celebration and diversity. Um, But we also see like very similar types of aspirations that people have. And we wanted to kind of like show that part as well, not show, you know, only the aspects of how they came here to kind of create a living and to survive. But they are here to also grow. They're also here to develop. And we also wanted to like, you know, think about the stories that go, you know, pre their migration phase, but also post their migration phase. And one day, hopefully, maybe a home in Singapore, Mm. right? Very much so. Yeah. Like even if, you know, we hear of a lot of people going back to start businesses, what kind of businesses have we uh, really talked about that as well? When we say farming, what kind of farming? You know, mm. why did you even come here in the first place? Was there a flood? What caused that flood? So there's a lot of learnings that you can learn um, just through these stories, and that's why you know we're still here because every single day there's a new story, and there's always uh, yeah so much to learn. There's always a new story to be uncovered. Exactly. I, I love I love the story about the migrant worker who was building U Town, yeah, and then want to build a school back home, and and that's. That's amazing if you start thinking about the kind of things that the experiences they have in Singapore often may lead to even social impact where they come from. If someone on the outside and say, hey, they are just migrant workers, they're just here, we pay them, you know, they they go back to the country. Um, Why put in all this energy? Why put in all these resources? Why do what you guys do? How would you respond to them? What would you say to someone who asks, why is this important? I think a lot of people don't understand the the scale of how many uh, you know migrant workers live in Singapore, um, and uh, you know we're dealing with, I mean together with domestic helpers as well, dealing with almost one million, and it's almost one fifth of our population now. It has gone down, but it's it's a big number of people, um, and 
the reason why we're so dependent on them is uh, it's 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 uh, it's literally because a lot of the things that we enjoy today are because of that community, and it's because of the constant need uh, to keep building or to keep maintaining and all of those things. And the thing is, you know, over time, people grow, and I think there is that you know there is a gap, right? For example. In between, maybe the I don't want to use the word locals and migrants, but let's say <laughs> there are people coming in. They are the ground, and then there's also the top down. There's a little bit of a gap where people don't understand what's happening on the ground, and a lot of times the newcomers eventually grow to become very experienced, and they also understand not just the what's happening at their work, but also in the community and also in society. And they actually fill the gap right now. Hmm. Um, and the less that we take care of them, not them specifically, but if we do not take care of the people who are building the fundamentals, you know, of our country, um, and um, you know, I think it, it's it, it's not good, lah. <laughs> it's a very yeah, it's a tough question. <laughs> I, I like your not good lah. Not good lah. Yeah, you it's, know, it's, it's like a, why, it's, why, why, like it's a it's a perfect evidence that you know what you you're born in Tokyo, <laughs> but you completely grew up in Singapore. Oh, of course, <laughs> yeah. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about we we know it is important, like you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. We we do need to take care of them, um, because they took care of us. They, exactly. I mean, I think last year is a, just a fantastic example of how important our migrant friends are. Um, to the entire Singapore ecosystem, yeah. um, I want to talk a little bit about the nonprofits in the space, the ground up folks in the space, uh, the player, mm-hmm. key players in the space. Um, do you think there is a shift um, because of COVID in terms of how we, how nonprofits actually have evolved um, in our work with migrant workers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I think it it really goes back to. The nature of what you know, the nature of the role of the nonprofit, right? Because back then, if we think about it, a few years back, a lot of it was based on casework, and there are not a lot of nonprofits around. So the number of people that you are taking care of is much less. But now, when we see that shift into the pandemic, now we're dealing with hundreds and thousands of people, and that scale becomes much larger. Which means that there are very different. It's a very different approach. To go about solving a problem, um, so I think it's kind of shifting from a responsive to a more proactive way um, of dr- addressing issues, uh, and that that that's that's a big <laughs> that's a big difference, right? Um, doing casework in terms of mental health impact versus trying to create a program for preventive, you know, um, intervention that might happen. So I think that's quite a lot of. I mean, that I think in itself, in that, like, there is already a, a big shift where NGOs are taking the lead to approach certain issues strategically, um, and uh, yeah, and I think in, even in terms of like their interactions with, um, uh, say, like you know, the government or with the private sector, right? Um, I think I think the perception of NGOs are still evolving. <laughs> Because a lot of times, maybe you know, um, NGOs are still seen as or non-profits may still be seen as maybe um, like caseworkers or 
um, only activists, right? I think we all are. Um, but sometimes you're also seen as like the rah-rah programmers, like the people who create these event organize, mm-hmm. like event organizers, and that's not true at all. And I think now we are starting to understand the role of having these types of events. Why, when, you know, why is it important to have it at this point in time and not to do something for the sake of it? Um, so yeah, I think rather than solving one problem, I think that we're more determined mm. to address uh, what was that core problem at hand that started this whole, you know, the trigger of yep. these complex issues that might emerge from that. And and being a ground up group, it you have that agility to to respond yes. to the ground very very quickly. Mm. Um, there are, I think, some of the folks who have been in the space for a while now. Of course, we talked about Health Serve, mm. TWC two, MWC. Um, and they all do really, really important and good work. Um, even folks like Israeli Raincoats, um, they they have, I think, over time been involved very uh, significantly in the migrant workers community, even before COVID, right? Um, how is your how is your relationship, you think, uh, in terms of the work that you do, um, more than just a rah-rah event? Because there is a place for that, right? Um, another larger organization may not be in that space, but all of a sudden, ground-up groups can actually do that. And it just becomes part of an overall ecosystem uh, of different things in what is actually a very, very large social social space. So as a ground-up group, how is your relationship with the other organi- uh, larger organizations who have been in the place for quite a while now? Yeah, Um I think the pandemic has actually opened up a lot more doors um, to have better partnerships. Um, I think, as I mentioned, you know, um, it was HealthServe that helped, you know, kind of spearhead us um, into founding Sama Sama. They were uh, the guidance that we had. Um, and actually, Geylang Adventures as well, you know, um, uh, really taught us, you know, really gave us like, um, um, <laughs> uh, I guess, a crash course on what are the key issues that we needed to address uh, within a community? And I think over time, uh, that that relationship has improved, right? Um, I mean, or rather, I think over time, as the pandemic happened, I think when more and more ground-ups came, there was that sense that ground-ups came in only for a short period of time. Mm. And they were not committed to actually, you know, addressing that longer-term issue, which is a lot of us are in for the long game, right? After we're here for a while. Um, and I think, you know, that that did cause a, a little bit, right, of trying to understand the role. What's the difference between an NGO versus a ground up? Um, but I think when COVID hit, that really showed that you can't operate in silo. Like you will just not win if you did it alone. So I think that forced also organizations to work together. Um, and... Um, and I think from there, we also understood the strengths of different organizations. The ones who perhaps were really there for momentum are no longer there. <laughs> it was a, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, and I think that that just builds trust, right? And so we understand, you know, um, you know, who are, who are the people who are leading the advocacy, right? We know who are the people who are creating the partnerships and nurturing and, and engaging um, and we also know uh, people doing programs versus the people who are, you know, um, working on the peripheral type of services work that's um, extended. So, yeah, I think I think you know there there is probably some more work to do um, in terms of clarifying what the roles are and th- thinking about 
what exactly <laughs> we need to be addressing because I think a lot of times it's not so much of the goal, but it's the approach of how people mm. do it. And I think we're still thinking about what the best approach is. So, um, yeah, but I think I think the pandemic has actually helped. Yep. Push I, I, and open that collaboration. I was about to ask you uh, the next question, which is about the the challenges in the sector, the issue in the sector. But um, you made an important point. Groundups are here to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are different types of groundups. There are those that start uh, for a period of time and then they move on to something else. But there are those like yourself who say that, hey, the need is just so great. We're not, we just don't want to register ourselves as a charity. But as a ground-up group of volunteers, we really want uh, to do something significant. Um, and I think you are here really to partner with anyone who has a heart in that space, playing a, a very niche role. Um, and I think there's, there is a there is really a place where charities, uh, larger organization, I'm really happy to hear into a Geelang uh, Ventures and then HealthServe has a big part to play in that because um, at least for us at Majority Trust, uh, ground-ups are one of the key folks that we want to invest in mm-hmm. uh, through the various funds that we have because you're so near so near and so close to the ground uh, to see what the needs are. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I want just, Yeah, and I just wanted to add, like there is something wonderful happening as well that the ground-ups are partnering each other mm. and that, you know, we understand that we do have our gaps and we know that in partnerships we can scale better. Um, so, I mean, for example, like certain events which are coming up, which we know that we're not exactly set up for, right? A ground-up is not set up to do large-scale events for thousands of people. Um, but we know why it's important to do so. Uh, but with that, you know, in the past, it used to be quite difficult to coordinate or understand, like, how you would be involved maybe with a big event coming up. But now it's almost like clockwork. Uh-huh. And you know exactly who you can reach out to, who you can partner um, so yeah, it's, it's some of the people that you're talking about, right? So um, it's, it can be HealthServe, right? Um, or it could be Wimby. Uh, it can be CMSE. And you know, you just have you pick, you pick up the phone and you know that it's a safe space. And I think that's how it evolves because I think all of us are learning from each other, um, and um, it's it's essentially becoming a, a really nice community in itself. It's something that just never existed before. Hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful to see. Really beautiful, beautiful to see. Beautiful to be in as yeah. well. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, from ground up, let's take all the way to the skies and look at the issues from a macro level. Okay. Um, from, your, from your point of view, um, again, there are many, many different points of views, but from your point of view, uh, being involved now in the, in the last couple of years, what do you think are some of the major issues that remains in the migrant worker space? I think many of the issues are still there. Yeah. Um, I think if not all are still, you know, I think that the issues that we see right now that's been highlighted by the pandemic has always been there before the pandemic and Very it was true. just expedited, you know, by it. Um, and so, I mean, I think a lot of people... Two, they think that the migrant worker issue is just seen as a as a silo issue. It's the migrant worker issue, but it actually cross cuts everything. Like, you know, from health, legal, and I'm sure for other you know community groups as well. That's when we do when we're dealing with communities, right? Humans. Um, so, I think it, it is it is really tough, right? But 
a lot of I mean right now I think that the biggest part the biggest issue right now is it is the fact I think I mentioned it earlier which is you know they are still in their dorms and it's been yeah. 19 months think um you know uh, since the lockdown <laughs> and you know uh sometimes it feels like we're taking you know I, I mean at the end of December last year we were already promising our communities that they will be out by February by March, by April, by May, by June and now it's like okay so now you know it's like even the when we say something you know it's hard to believe it you know that it is really going to be that but we need to be there for them right yeah. we need to create a support system so i mean that that would be one of the biggest things and that's like uh, that is essentially uh stem from quite a number of things uh which you know it it, it It goes back to you know recently we do welcome it though right they they had kind of equalized or rather made same the standards of how local community guidelines are with the migrant community so things like this are progressing um, and I think it's really that step by step um, approach but of course because of this it's it's essentially our concern since anyway last April and June is 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 the mental health of the migrant workers. Um, and 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 i think there is that sort of a fear that they're kind of already adapting to the fact that there's this disengagement by the fact that they it's just their life mm. that they have to stay in that room right for a long time um yeah <laughs> and i think uh, a lot of us are also concerned by okay when we are going to jump to the endemic state how are we going to actually manage this you know we do know that there's already that that perception that came with migrant workers before but what about now we don't quite understand it yet yeah. what is this new stigma that may have happened over the two years uh, new ex- new realities how about that new realities yeah i mean podcasts have the habit of living forever so if someone <laughs> listening to this right now and it's the year 2035 mm-hmm. um, just know um, that some of the conversation we just had uh, in the year 2021 mm-hmm. um, we were talking about covid cases that went from you know in the in a tens now it, as of this recording we're talking about 3000 cases 4000 cases 5000 cases and in hope mm-hmm. like what you said earlier uh, it will hopefully start tapering down and there's light at the end of the tunnel but every time we want to open up to make sure that we can actually allow our migrant community to back, be back out again um, numbers change again realities change again it becomes really painful um, I want to I want to take that that conversation uh, now a little bit away from the migrant workers um, and from the key players like yourself uh, health serve Geelang ventures and so on I want to turn that mirror a little bit to us as individuals. Um, some people comment that nothing's going to change in the needs and the challenges facing the migrant worker space if the mindset of Singaporeans don't change. Um, because sometimes we we tend to project um, the issue on someone else, right? We always say, oh, you know, government must do this. Or, you know, uh, the non-profits are not doing enough. Or you know the migrant workers themselves, the dormitory owners, right? We we tend to project a lot of the issues uh, on another person. So I want to take this podcast and really, since we're talking about the messy truths, then let's really talk about the messy truths, right? What if we turn that focus on ourselves? 
Are mindsets holding us back? Are, my, are our current mindsets about migrant workers um, limiting what is needed or what can be done on the ground? What are your thoughts? When you say me, is it me or like us as, us, a, as, a, as, a, as a people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I think you brought up a good point that when we say mindset, it's, you know, a society is not collective. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it is collective, right? It's not, I mean, it's it's made out of collective parts. It's not homogeneous. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think a lot of mindsets across may be holding us back, right? I mean, we've talked a lot about the public mindset and that's one, one that gets talked about the most often. Um, you know, what are the misconceptions of, you know, migrants, uh, the fact that they can't relate to them and and so on. But there are other types of mindsets as well. Um, and it could be related to more to their job um, or the fact that they may be dangerous when things are not great or the fact that maybe they're transient so there's no point investing in them um, as, you know, as talent, right? Um, uh, which leads to, you know, a lot of things that could have been solved with just conversation or engagement um, and not requiring, you know, very dramatic effects because... It's not anyone's fault that maybe, you know, things are escalated um, when something happens. But it's because people don't understand enough uh, who they are as people or how to manage it or how do you speak to the community um, or understand the nuances the challenges that they face so that they know how to address a situation that's happening on the ground. So I do believe that there are a lot of, you know... Um, I guess, pre-assumptions uh, that we have. I mean, like myself, when I first came in, the fact that I thought that they were they were victims was already a self-limiting kind of a thing where I couldn't see myself helping when I saw, like, amazing lawyers who could help them, you know, uh, get better access to the justice system. And I was like, what can I do, right? But that's how... You know, when you see them from a different light and then you see that opportunity as well. Um, yeah. And it goes back to what you are doing with Sama Sama mm-hmm. is to really help redefine that perception, right? Help people redefine to a certain extent the mindset, the label they have on people. And imagine if you will, this Messy Truths podcast is listened by half a million people in Singapore. Well, it's not going to be quite that, but um, how would you tell them? What would you say? What would you say to an ordinary Singaporean um, in your work in Sama Sama to help people reframe uh, their perception? Yeah. What would I say to, to them? To Singaporeans? I think a lot of times, like um, when we tell a story that they do not expect, out of a migrant worker. Um, and I mean, for example, like the story of U-Town, um, you know, or, uh, you know, um, someone who, say, speaks multiple languages. I mean, for example, the other day, uh, I met with a friend and I also, I mean, I met with a friend and I also met with a good friend who happens to be a migrant worker. Uh, and he, he spoke, you know, a lot of languages he was quite like you know senior (laughs) you know like he had a lot of knowledge about the world and uh you know i was just 
I mean, they were having a conversation. We were all having conversation. And then after he left, you know, after my friend left, and he was just like, okay, who's that? And I was just like, oh, I actually met him through the migrant worker project. And he was a migrant worker. And then, you know, he kind of like worked hard for it. And then it just like, I don't know why, but it just like blew his mind. And I think it's, you know, it's those types where you don't focus on that person itself, but you are just, you know, you are just listening to the content um, of their experience and the richness of their story. So I think usually when I tell a story, um, you know, I want to highlight the um, how an individual has inspired themselves um, or anyone else. So that goes back to, you know, um, uh, how what I can learn um, from that individual. So if it's about Joy, the guy who did U-Town, usually we position, you know, we, I mean, I think once we had um, a, a fun a fun workshop with students as well, where we essentially kind of put them in multiple choice questions and put them in their shoes of this mysterious person and kind of said, like, what would you do if you were this person? And then they kind of went through it and it was all, like, very similar choices or very different choices, but it was just exciting to see. And at the end of it, we showed that it was a true story about a migrant worker who then became and all the boundaries and all the challenges that he faced. And that also helps us reflect on, you know, like, the luxury of life that we live in and the choices that we have. Um, versus that so yeah maybe the next campaign should be a hashtag hear their stories yeah of course because that's really what you're saying right the the ability to to know the story behind the migrant worker mm -hmm. will allow you to appreciate their realities to appreciate them as a person um, and sometimes your mind will be blown because yeah. of the amount that you don't know um, because our perception of that person is seen through a lens of work, mm -hmm. but rather if we change that lens to a lens of story, mm -hmm. uh, we may end up knowing so much more about that person. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it is scary, right? Don't you think sometimes when we don't know, we don't have a lot of opportunities, um, how would you recommend to to someone who, who may find it difficult to go up to a, another migrant or to a migrant worker and say hey i want to hear your story right so it, it can be intimidating um in the last podcast we were talking about how sometimes people do want to do good um but you know they they bring a packet of food to a, to an elderly in a in a rental flat for example and they just leave it there and they run away because it be, i mean people do want to do good they just don't know how what would you say to someone? How, how would you coach someone to say, how can I interact with a migrant worker to get to know them more? What are the best things we can do? I mean, I think one way to look at it is the exact same way that you would make a friend. <laughs> you know, like uh, another stranger. You know, what would you do? You would be welcoming. <laughs> I mean, just say hi. <laughs> just do it, you know. It is quite intimidating as well when you're at a bar or something and you don't know someone, but you're maybe in a networking event. You just go up to people and yes, them hi, you know. What do you do? What's your name? Right? And then introduce yourself, you know, um, and then just have a conversation from there. Or if you really want some help, you know, there are a lot of events out there if you just search for it where you do have the opportunity to just connect with someone where it, that's already the premise of the whole program, right? But I think you it's up to the individual to take the first step. I feel it's... Um, there are other things that the community can do. For example... You know, there definitely is that lack of, there is that gap, that physical and social distance of the migrant local community. But that's also because there are not a lot of, um, like I said, the mainstream events 
which also include migrant. Like, you know, rather than have migrant worker events, why can't you just have an event and invite migrant workers as your, you know, as participants and normalize the idea that they are migrant workers? They're just people, right? You would like the same way that you would talk to someone at like an event or a party. It's it's you know it's it's kind of that and yeah. I think it's it's just really taking the first step. So I mean, you know, I keep getting her like, you know, do you have any events that we can go and talk to them? I'm like, yes, of course. But do you have any events coming up? Yes. Okay, great. That's your first step. I can give you an invitee list, <laughs> you know, um, and then you 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 go from there, right? So I think it just ne- it needs to be two ways. I feel, yeah. Very much so, and I think the ability for us to the the ability for us to actually change our mindset just purely on what you've just said that it is really not just about oh you know how many events i can go to the migrant workers but really say hey i have an event just come and just invite them mm-hmm. um and i think that's I, I think that i think that would do a lot of wonders i, I remember um many years ago now um, the founder of health serve dr go way leong we were celebrating his birthday um and it was it was his fifth year and he did it a health serve at Geylang. Um, and that was what basically he did. The entire place was from ministers uh, to social workers to philanthropists and donors to migrant workers uh, all coming together all in the same birthday event uh, because through his lens, that's how he see people mm-hmm. uh, because everyone is the same and the migrant workers are his brothers. Uh, because he spends so much time with them, um, and I've always liked that. I've always very been very inspired by that, um, and I think that's what you are saying, uh, the same thing too. Um, what would your advice be for anyone who wants to start ground up projects or ground up movements uh, in the migrant space? What would be your advice to the next person who wants to do like what you do? I think that the, I mean, I think the first thing that you should always do is go to the migrant community direct. You know, don't assume that you know their issues. I, you may have heard of one thing, but you go in and it opens up a completely new world for you. And I think it's also in the questions that you ask, and I think going back to some mindsets that might be limiting, a lot of the questions that I hear when they have a conversation with someone, um, you know, it's very geared towards you're a migrant worker and that's why I need to ask you, you know, where you're from, like, what's your family? Do you miss your family? And that kind of stops there. Um, but when you have a conversation with them, that's when you can get that depth um, of their culture, of their family, their background, where they lived, you know. Um, you know, what do they love about, you know, what's the plant, or like what's the plant that they love the most in their country? I mean, you know, you learn so much about like fruit festivals or like, you know, living next to a volcano and things like that. So I think it goes back um, to speaking with them. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Now, I wanted to um, get some information from Jen about uh, if people want to find out about you, uh-huh. about Sama Sama, where do they go to? So, you know, I will admit that Sama Sama is pretty low profile. <laughs> that we do have a Facebook though. Um, I believe it's www.facebook.com slash samasamasg. So, I believe so, but we may need to clarify this. So <laughs> www.facebook.com <laughs> backslash samasamasg. Yes, but I think, you know, right now, I think the more important message that we're thinking about is in terms of that social integration piece. Yeah. Um, so if they would like to check out that work, it will be Making Waves SG on Instagram. 
Okay. So on Instagram, makingwaves.sg, that would be the best place to find out more about the integration work mm-hmm. that you guys are doing. Um, as you know, for us at Majority Trust, the integration work is a big piece for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what we think is the most meaningful contribution we can do at this time. Um, I think the pandemic has brought to the surface of all the different issues that are very real practical issues that a lot of charities are going into. The government is creating a lot more inroads, a lot more solution in that area. Um, but the more, the more our people get to know each other, the more our migrant communities are more integrated, uh, have a lot more accessibility with our Singaporean community. Um, there is so much, I think, a country, our country, uh, can be a part of the solution, but as well as a place where new stories are written mm-hmm. uh, between um, the migrant workers as well as the Singaporean community. Um, if you have one final word on this podcast, what would that be? Well, I mean... I think what struck me was the fact, you know, when you asked, uh, why is it so important to care about migrant workers? And I mean, I think that you really summarized that pretty well. I think a lot of times we just take for granted what we have. Um, when in fact, you know, the house that you live in or the landscapes that you see, or even like the soil and the country that we grew up in, you know, were because of migrants. So I think that, you know, regardless, you know, who you are, your background or your age, um, I think that everyone, including myself as an, you know, as a naive, you know, person coming into this space, you know, you can contribute. And all it does is to start with, you know, your voice. Right? And yeah. Our voice that can move and make waves. Exactly. Because... A little bit and a little action from us individually, but mm-hmm. collectively it aggregates to so much positive things that can work. Hey, Carrie, the podcast is called The Messy Truths. For us, The Messy Truths is, it's, it's really messy wanting to do good. It's not, it's, issues are complex. The road ahead is complex. Um, doing good is not a straight line from A to B. It is often messy along the way. What is messy truths to you? <laughs> I think, you know, um, messy truth is constantly waking up to something new and finding out uh something that you haven't addressed before in your work. And then also not knowing who you're supposed to be working with, um, but eventually, you know, coming together and trying to figure it out. <laughs> and um, and it's like you said, it's definitely not, it's definitely not a straight line path. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of us still say that we have just so much to do. And um, we have unfinished business. Uh, and yeah, but I mean, I think the gratifying thing is, you know, a lot of times, even when you're at the heat of firefighting, um, you always, always see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? And that that's really why we keep going and keep doing what we do. Thank you so much, Carrie, for joining us at The Messy Truths. It has been a delight just being able to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. You have been listening to The Messy Truths podcast. We were here uh, with Kerry Tamura-Twa, co-founder of a local ground-up group called Samasam. You want to find out more about them, um, 
facebook.com slash samasamasg um, or go on the Instagram makingwaves.sg. <laughs> <laughs>